Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. Hello and welcome to This Is Your Laugh, the podcast that interviews well-known female stand-ups and comedy actors about what comedy has taught them about life. This podcast is brought to you by Comedy 5050 and we're your hosts, Roxy and Alice. Dawn, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. It's brilliant to have you. Well, it's my duty and it's my job and it's my dread to join you. (laughs) (laughs) So I have to be honest from the off and say, and sorry, this is horribly gushy, a gushy way to start the podcast, but you are the reason that I personally have gone into comedy. Oh my goodness. (laughs) I'm so sorry. I can't apologise enough. (laughs) Please do not apologise. So I wanted to know, if you take us back to the very beginning, is there someone or even something that inspired you to go into comedy and um, what was it you sort of learned from them or their work? Well, you know, I'm not sure how useful I'm going to be for you (laughs) in terms of learning anything because I pretty much haven't learned anything at all uh, all the time I've been alive. But anyway, um, and most of the things I've done have been massive, giant mistakes. But I guess those are learning things in a way. Um, but there wasn't a person that really inspired me to go into comedy because I didn't ever intend to go into comedy. Um, the thing with myself and with Jennifer was that it was all kind of accident, um, which is why I can't ever give advice to people about how to get into this world at all, uh, because I, don't, I have no idea how you go into it. And I have no idea about being focused on the work until much later of course you know obviously I take it fairly seriously now mm. but um back in the day I didn't think "Ooh, I want to be a comedian I did that was not in my thinking at all um what I did do of course was just live in the world alongside um people that made me laugh like Eric Morecambe and just utterly adored him um and but so did my dad and so did my brother and so did my mum and so did my friends who didn't go into comedy. So I, I sort of think that as a kind of proper um, punter, I adored that man and I knew the feelings I had when I laughed at Morecambe and Wise were just the, the biggest delights I had, partly because I, it was a shared experience with my whole family. It was something that we as a family really loved to watch, as did most people, because you've got to remember there was only a couple of channels back then. So, <laughs> you know, an episode of um, Morecambe and Wise would get, I, God knows, gazillions of viewers. And so, you know, it, the whole country was was in a kind of love fest with, with those two men, and especially with Eric, who I just uh, worshipped, really worshipped, because he made me laugh. But I wouldn't say 
that I made the link very clearly between him and my own career. I, I just know the feeling of being entertained and and uh, the, gr- the the kind of how grateful I was to him to for amusing me and my whole family and making me and my dad especially pee our pants and fall off the seat and then do impressions <laughs> of him afterwards, you know. So I knew what that experience was like. But, but uh, as I said, never intended to go into comedy, so I couldn't even put that at his door or at the door of anybody else. I suppose as I got older and I saw the Pythons and I saw Rowan Atkinson and I, you know, I saw Joyce Grenfell and people like that, I suppose they were indicators of the kind of work you could do but I fully intended to be a teacher and that's what I Mm. came up to London to do uh, from Cornwall and um, that's where I met Jennifer and you know after we had been at at college together uh, we shared a flat together and did lots of asking about to make each other laugh (laughs) and then she was the one who saw an advert in the stage for women at the comic strip and so again it was all a complete accident she had to persuade me to go to it I wasn't in no way looking for a career in comedy I'm not sure I I am still now I was was just (laughs) going to ask actually so do you think this sort of like lack of game plan at the beginning is something that has continued to be present in your career so there's you know is it something that you've still had quite a we'll see where my next move is coming from yeah definitely uh, partly for fear of repeating myself too much. Um, you know, there's a joy when you come up with some characters to repeat them and try and expand them a bit and play. There's a joy in that. But there's the fear that you are just doing the same thing again and that's the time to stop. And that's when we did stop eventually, was when we were slightly running out of things that amused us. Um, it's funny because after a few years, you kind of get recharged and you think, oh, actually, now there's new things I'd quite like to be doing. But at the time when we stopped it, it was it was for that reason of not kind of repeating yourself. Mm. Did I wondered whether you said that these things sort of stopped amusing you both. And I wonder if that was both of you at the same time, because obviously we work in a double act. And that's something that's been interesting yeah. for us about when one of you might feel something more. And then that constantly fluctuates for us. And I'm not sure if that's something that came into your relationship with Jennifer or not. Oh, there's that difficult thing. It's just like it's like trying to kind of catch air where if you start to analyse your job in comedy and if you um, start to make it business-like and very serious, all of a sudden the very thing that was joyous about it is gone. Mm. So you tread this very fine line between taking your life and your work seriously, you know, seriously enough to be business-like enough to demand that you're paid properly and that you get the right gigs in the right place and that yeah. you're on the, um, you know, you, you're on the bill with men equally and all the rest of it. And also not even regarding it as a proper job. And I'm not sure I ever have regarded it as a proper job. Um <laughs> Um, and I and I sort of like that because that ke- keeps it nice and childlike and lucky and nice, a bit frothy, if you like it. And it, it still keeps my interest peaked in it because yeah. it feels like fun, mm. that part of it. But as I say, you you know, it's this it's this strange uh, dichotomy between that and the and trying to make sure that you choose wisely and that you make the right choice for whatever your next job might be and so on. But I've tried to be 
open, if you like. I've tried mm. to be open. And if I think, oh, God, this is that now, and this is, I've done that before, let's try something else. If I feel like I'm repeating something, that, that, that's of no interest to me. But, and I also remember that, you know, when I was leaving school, it wasn't like you went to the careers lady who, who suggested being a comedian. Even if you'd been quite funny at school, nobody would suggest being a comedian, yeah. you know, to you. So it wasn't really even a job mm. uh, on offer anywhere. And the people that I saw doing it, I thought they had kind of come a- upon it in some strange way. I, di- I didn't even think of Ken Dodd or, um, I don't know, whoever it was. I didn't think of them as sort of people with a business-like head or with a career at all. I just thought they were lucky people doing some showing off. <laughs> and that I was doing that all my life, but you know, and, and that it would be preposterous to charge somebody for doing it. Then I think this, it kind of links into childhood, doesn't it? Of you know being told off for showing off by your mum, and you know, and then the thought of being in the dressing up box for the rest of your career. It, it, it seems madness. You can't believe that you'll get away with it. And I do believe that quite a lot of comedians have a slightly fraudulent um, feeling about their work. Uh, I, I know this from talking to various people who just think they're kind of getting away with it. Mm. And some comedians <laughs> are getting away with it. Uh, but it's, I think it's, um, it, it's the difference of, it, it's the problem that happens when you love your job mm. and when it's a, a, a slightly frippery-ish, I know that's not a word, but, you know, where it's not regarded with much seriousness and how do you regard comedy seriously? You know, what, where's the line? It's just it's just a weird line to tread. Mm. So how do you sort of approach what sort of comedic characters you're going to play? Because do you feel like you have to have a really good self-awareness of who you are and what makes you funny? Or do you sort of approach things more from, um, you know, people you see and observing things and thinking, yeah. you know, that's a wonderful character? Well, it's been some years since I wrote a kind of sketch character, if you like, or a stand-up character. Uh, but when Jennifer and I did that, we literally sat in a room and did whatever made us laugh. And she reminded me about a couple of old women that her mother knew who were very fuss and nonsense <laughs> and would, you know, chop their fingers off to feed to the Labrador kind of women. I mean, obviously they didn't do that, but that was the extreme of that kind of behavior. And we went to the pub and we saw a couple of fat old men sitting at the door near the women's loos who would flirt with everybody who went by as if we were all were lucky to have their attention. Oh, and, you know, so suddenly we've got to... Uh, older women uh, we've got two fat men we've got you know um, but even then I wasn't putting them in my back pocket as oh these would be good characters I was doing anything to make Jennifer laugh <laughs> and she was doing anything to make me laugh and that would turn into some characters yeah because you must learn quite a lot from each other about you know what makes what makes each other tick and because in yeah. our double act for example Roxy often plays the straight man and I'm often the sort of for want of a better phrase you know the, the clown idiot character yeah. and in reality you know we can really flip around quite a lot and I can yes. be very anally retentive about well, we, it. Well, I think we tried. We, for instance, did not have beginnings or endings to our sketches. Yeah. Certainly when we did them live in clubs, we we ended up being really, we were very cat-handed at it. We And I'm sure we still would be because we don't know how to finish something, which is why the editing of television is a, you know, a, a massive gift to twats <laughs> like us. 
Um, but we, when we did the live stuff, we we would rather pathetically bow and say thank you, um, and that was an indication to the audience that that sketch was over. Because we'll the, try the, that. We'll try that. Next if time. we had a punchline, and uh, very rarely did we have that. And you know, because we just were having slices of life from different characters, so there was no no real endings to them. So as I say, television helped us with that. But coming up with them was, was again, a lot of happenstance. We'd just go and sit in a cafe or something and just just say, oh, I saw this woman the other day who had a, a kind of strange overbite and uh, spoke like this. And before you know it, we're both speaking like that. Very often the characters we did out of interest would be two of the same, if you know what I mean. Oh, okay, a peas in a pod. We often do that. So there yeah. isn't the straight and the clown. There's two of the same. Um, and well, when we had to come up with a kind of French and Saunders persona was when we did TV and we had to link the sketches. So that's where we came up with the white room you know, that of the house that she sort of lives in, mm. that I arrive at the door. And, we, and there's some running jokes that go with that. Um, and, but she would be that sort of person, slightly bossy sitting there in a turban, bossing me about, and I'd be somebody arriving with some new ideas of something I was up to. And that's really all it was. Um, but very often, you know, I mean, I remember back in the early days, I was always the falling over person. I did loads of clowning. Um, physical clowning and then Jennifer actually started to do loads of it and in Ab Fab she was forever falling over yeah. and was much better than me at it actually so <laughs> so never were we very firmly in our roles if you like I, d- I don't think we were ever stuck in a persona that we couldn't get out of we used it when it was useful and then we would bob about in the sketch you know depending whatever anybody's strengths were or whoever thought the line up Oh, that's so amazing mm. to have so much freedom to explore so many different characters and just keep things sort of yeah. in flux all the time. I think I'm so yeah. struck by listening to you how much you say was in the early days, but he particularly just left to happenstance and chance because I I guess what I'm intrigued about is how you can carry on with that sort of lightness um, yeah. and and lack of knowledge now when you, I mean, you, you just must know so much and you are so <laughs> experienced. So are you sort of No, I don't think we do or, know um, any more than we did. I mean, what what you might get with a bit of maturity is a sort of a feeling for what might work. I think that's all. You you And even then we're very shocked and as as you will know and there's nothing like an audience for an <laughs> editor you know the audience will tell you what's funny and what isn't um you know uh, uh, and it, and it's killing sometimes when you think you've done something a little bit clever or you've managed to come up with something very new and it just falls flat and you think oh okay we we really had that wrong but as time went on we had it wrong less and less mm, you know yeah. we still get it wrong but you know less often so yeah. that's the only thing really that, that changed with time. And I still hold on to the slight wonder of it all. Otherwise, uh, it will become a job and I don't really want it to be a job. Mm. But we haven't really done... I mean, I think actually, I think Jennifer has much more than me done kind of broad comedy characters recently. I mean, what I do a lot of is, you know, drama now, or yes, comedy yeah. drama. So I'm playing a person yeah. that I can completely recognise. So it's like acting. It's not like doing sketches anymore and, and even my last stand-up show was uh well it's not even stand-up it was kind of storytelling was me retelling things from my own life in order to kind of um, make a few points about stuff I'd learned and stuff I hadn't and but it was me being me mm. so it's been really a lot of years since I 
decided, oh, what teeth would I wear for this character or what wig can I have for that character? Mm. That, that I've sort of, I kind of seem to have left that behind a bit. It's not that I won't return to it. It just hasn't been in my life in the last 10 years or so. Hello and welcome to This Is Your Laugh, the podcast that interviews well-known female stand-ups and comedy actors about what comedy has taught them about life. This podcast is brought to you by Comedy 5050 and we're your hosts, Roxy and Alice. In your whole, the span of your career and all the different spectrum of characters that you've played, which role in the whole of your career do you feel has taught you the most about yourself? That's tricky. Sorry, that is a really tricky question. It is tricky because, uh, you know, I'm torn between roles that I've played where just being in that role and, uh, like, playing the Vicar of Dibley, for instance, didn't mm. teach me much about myself, but it did teach me a, quite a bit about humanity. Um, mm. Being with a big gang of um, very good actors playing very extreme characters while I play a quite believable fulcrum central character just taught me a lot and working with Richard Curtis taught me a lot about um, kindness and decency and having a kind of moral compass at the center of it all without being cheesy and uh, you know many things like that I learned playing that character mm. however when I really think about it and it's not a, it's not a character it's not a sketch character at all but the character I think I learned the most about myself from was Val in Roger and Val have just got in, which is a sitcom that I did. Mm. It was very tiny; hardly anybody saw it. Um, it, it I did it with um, oh God, <laughs> Fred Molina, Fred Molina, Alfred Molina, mm. and I played a husband and wife. He played Roger, and I played Val. And it was set in uh, uh, our home, a sort of hermetically sealed place where the beginning of each episode, one of us would arrive in the door and shout to the other, like you do when you get home from work, you know, Roger, Val. And then they, it was almost in real time, the next half an hour of their life. So somebody has just got in. That's why it's called Roger and Val have just got in. Mm. And literally it was the half an hour explaining what had happened at work, um, dealing with a, that receipt for the Hoover, uh, working out whether you really want to go out tonight with Sue and Keith. Um, you know, it was that. On the surface, that's what it was. And it's written by twin sisters called Beth and Emma Kilcoyne, who are genius writers. Mm. Drama writers, really, but with a huge comic sense and sensitivity. And really, although this looked like just a couple, just a middle-aged couple kind of getting through and getting on with life and being rather pedantic and you got to know their characters very well, um, what it really was was a couple of people who had lost a child 19 years ago and just had to get through, just had to keep on loving each other and cope with their grief. And that's what it gradually unfurls to discover that. But there's only two people in the sitcom. And so it, it was very full on, lots of learning, lots of um, hard focused work, if you like, to come up with a seemingly light piece of real slice of life comedy drama called a sitcom. I don't know if it's a sitcom, it's a situation, and it's a comedy, I guess it is, but I'd never really understand those categories. <laughs> but it was very beautifully written. It required a lot of hard work. And I felt that all the time I was imbuing this character with things that I knew from my own life of how to respond, because it had to be authentic. 
truly authentic, not even heightened sitcom like uh, uh, Vicar of Dibley would be or other parts that I've played, and certainly not as heightened as a sketch character. But it had to be a real person who loved her real husband and had some real grief in the heart of her, mm. but was very funny about her day teaching cookery. Do you know what I mean? It's so, and, and, and the whole cast of characters that existed off screen at Val's work and at Roger's work. So, you know, and, and the awful moment when Roger sent an email to all the people that should have gone to one person. You know, and so half an hour of utter panic (laughs) about a stupid email, you know. Half an hour of utter panic about not being able to find that receipt for the Hoover um, guarantee, you know. And so having to go into garage to open up boxes and then coming across photos of things from that you did on your honeymoon and you know it was just so beautifully crafted but hard, as I say hardly anyone saw it hardly anyone knew it but I guess that's the character I learned the most about mm. myself in. Do you think having done the um a couple of those projects you've spoken about now that one particularly included where you are doing something that's quite uh, so very truthful and potentially more dramatic that that yep. was what then made you do what you're saying now is more almost just straight stand-up but not even stand-up more just yourself on a stage and has yep. made you sort of get rid of these extra characters because it would feel like going like backwards almost or is it just like well it, it, you know it's a funny thing and i'm i'm always conflicted about this but i slightly feel that when we left the sketch comedy behind I slightly moved into my age Mm. if you know what I mean I've got a funny feeling sketch comedy is a young person's Mm. game (laughs) and we played it for quite a long time well past the time that you should stop (laughs) only because we still wanted to play children and stuff and you can't do that in your 50s you can't strap your tits down and look like somebody who's sick anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? Even when we went on tour and we'd, we'd kind of reprised some of our old sketches about learning about sex and stuff, I felt a bit, mm, this is pushing it now, we're pushing it. Um, and it was still pleasurable to do, but I sort of felt, oh, I don't know if I want to run off the stage in front of the audience in the studio and get into another wig and run back on and do another character. I just, I had tired of it a bit. It takes energy and it takes a kind of forward motion that we had slightly stopped. So now that's not to say that we can't do it again. And in fact, we did a French and Thorne thing a couple of years ago at Christmas and I enjoyed it very much. Loved it because it was a bit of television that needed a bit of a bashing. You know, the Kardashians had come along in the meantime oh. <laughs> and The Handmaid's Tale had come along and they were begging for it, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I looked forward to that and I looked forward to being with my mate and mucking about in the dressing up box again. But it has a slightly different flavour for me yeah. now. So, um, yes, I guess I have just become a bit more real and, and actually I had never stood up on the stage on my own and done a show Oh, I had done a play, but I had never talked as Dawn to the audience or even pretend Dawn, you know, comedy uh, heightened Dawn, like like a lot of people are a heightened version of themselves for comedy purposes. Mm. I had never done that. So in a way, doing that was something that I needed to try. And indeed, when I first started to do it, the director that I was working with, because, you know, it was kind of a bit of theatre really more than stand-up, the director said to me, why are you constantly standing over there? He was looking, you know, from the stalls to the stage. And he said, mm. why are you over to the left all the time? I said, oh, because another woman stands there. <laughs> mm. Another woman stands in that place. So I sort of didn't even feel like I could wow. take the center of the stage because I'd be 
in her way, in the way of the invisible person who wasn't there anymore. Yeah. Uh, so it's mad. You know, it took oh, wow. a while for me to shake that off a little bit. And and again, I'm just not to say I wouldn't ever do it again. I would. I, you know, I wanted to take that place rightfully for myself, tell those stories of my own life in yeah. my own way, with my own words, at my own pacing, and the tenor of which was chosen entirely by me, and see if I could, mm. to see if I could. Do you think that comedy's changed you then, um, as a person, in terms of your personality and your sort of characteristics? Um, no, I don't. I think... I think I think what it's done is display my personality to others. <laughs> my my personality is shaped by my family. And without a doubt in my family, the dynamics were such that my dad and I were more extrovert and my mum and my brother are more introvert, if you like. Mm. And so my dad and I would perform, and I'm, you know, that in big commas, for the amusement of my mum and my brother. Who, who were just as funny, if you like, and just as quick-witted, but didn't stand up and play the characters as much as my dad and I would. <laughs> so, you know, that was just something that happened in our family. I think it happens in lots of families. There's somebody who's prepared to show off a bit more than other people. Uh, but, you know, when I think about it, actually... All of that belonged around the table in my family home when I was young or on Christmas Day or in our kitchen, in our front room with our jokes, our running jokes, our family jokes. All of that was completely allowed and you're allowed to be vulnerable and make mistakes with your comedy and, you know, all of that. You were able to do all of that with, with no fear of judgment or anything like that. Um, and yet, as I've grown older, what I realize very clearly about myself is that I am also like my mum and my brother in as much as that I am a functioning introvert, actually, mm. which means that I, you know, I can highly function as a performer, but oh my God, I can't wait to stop doing it. <laughs> yeah, I'd I... much rather creep back into my office where I'm sitting talking to you now and write a book. Any day, I'd rather be doing that than standing on a stage. Is but I you're... know that I need and want to stand on the stage every now and again it's almost like something i have to get out of me and i also enjoy being you know asking about with my friend yeah. um and if that became something other people wanted to watch then all well and good but never for a minute did we sit down and think mm, how can we make a career out of this double act we just never never did that and i never would want to do that it would feel like I would feel like a trade then, yeah. other than a joy. Yeah, it's very honest and honourable and lovely, I think. Yeah, we'll have to change our approach, Alice. <laughs> <laughs> but then, of course, remember, I'm elderly and uh, it's different <laughs> now. And I, you know, I'm really glad that spunky girls are regarding it as a proper career and are coming into it with a bit of business sense and, you know, considering what Edinburgh might do for you and can, making sure that they, you know, meet the right people and stuff. Because that, that's the only way they're going to get. Uh, you and they are going to get seen, you know, and we're going to have to, and we're going to be able to stop this ridiculous kind of quota that a lot of the guys in charge of comedy think is, is sufficient. Like, you know, we've got a female double act. We don't need another one um, on our channel. You know, they don't say that about boys. You can have as many boys as you like. Nobody stops saying we've got too many boys doing comedy. So true. So true. So, um, you know, whilst girls are now being businesslike about it, hooray, I'm glad. It's just we were in a time when it wasn't, 
it, it didn't even look like it would go further than a year. And we thought we were very lucky to get away with a year. And then we did another year and then another year. And then there was a TV show and then another thing. And so, you know, of course, now I sit and plan my year and think, oh, right, I want to do that. Uh, drama there or I might want to write something here or you know maybe I'll go on tour or what can I do with Jen you know of course I plan it but I plan it so that it kind of fits into my life rather than into a great big uh, strategized career if you like yeah you mentioned about um, the book is that something you're doing at the moment writing Uh, yes well I've uh, I've written three novels and I'm in the middle of a fourth one and I made the the catastrophic mistake of stopping in the middle of it to go and do a drama that I've just done down in Cornwall here. In fact, I finished filming last week. So I've been working on that for the last three months. So and now I have to return to the novel and all the editors are sitting waiting in London, drumming the table because I went off, I went off and did something else for three months <laughs> when really they should have been handed in. Wow. Uh, but obviously you have to jump. When, you, when your series that you've been developing for two years gets a green light you have to go oh, God, you know do it yeah. it's very strange when it comes to the returning to the novel because you have to go back read it you probably hate it mm. uh, you have to pick up all the threads it's like you know those old circus acts of keeping plates spinning on top of sticks yes it's yeah. like that keeping all the threads of it all and keeping the narrative drive going and making sure it, it still amuses you and it's still got a point and it still means something you know, you have that, you, you kind of juice up a bit and yeah, you, you yeah. get revved up. And then if you drop it, bloody hell, all the plates come crashing down. Oh, I can imagine. And you don't even like the plates anymore. <laughs> you know, so you, you have to sort of start again. So I am a bit scared of that. But yes, so I'm writing a fourth novel. Wow. Yeah. We because can't wait to read it. We can't. I just, on that actually, how do you, because with something like a TV script, you could read that in one day to edit it. Presumably with a novel, you can't. So how are you even, do you have to go back to the beginning each time? You just pick up. Yes, well, uh, in fact, it's not going to happen this week, but next week, starting on Monday, is the day that I will sit and start to read that novel, which I'm, it's, it's staring at me on this desk, and I handwrite everything. So I have to you go back and oh read my, my writing. Do you have a quill and an ink? Um, well, well, you well. know, it's funny, isn't it? I, I don't know why I haven't got a chisel and a great big tablet of stone. I might as well. Uh, you've got to remember that I am, as I say, elderly. I'm in my 300s now. Oh, please. <laughs> but I, you know, never learn on a computer. I'm very computer illiterate. I've got a tablet now that I can mm. watch Netflix and things on. But I honestly can't bear the thought of writing on a, a device because I can't bear the look of typing. I don't mm. like it. No. It, looks like, it looks like a book. It looks like anyone's book. Whereas the pencil... And the lines and the page and the paper. Romantic. I love it. I love my own writing, so to speak. I just It feels like my book, although yeah. it makes for very difficult editing. Oh, so luckily somebody does type it all up for me and I do in the end have it in some kind of form that I can... But even then it gets printed out and I do all my corrections on the paper. That's the only way I know how to do it. You know, I hope you keep that in a fireproof um, box locked away somewhere. Well, <laughs> I do. I've got all my novels. I've got these great big files of them handwritten, which, which nobody will ever want, believe oh. me. You wouldn't want to be wading through all that. Well, but it, does, it pleases me. You know, aesthetically it pleases yeah. me. So, OK, here's a really annoying question. Yeah. If you were to sum up your career in three words, what do you think yeah. they would be? Gosh, I hate those questions. I can't believe we're asking one ourselves. Yes, well, I did look at this question. I honestly didn't know what... what I didn't know what to say. Oh, God. Okay. It would be something like... Lucky, hmm. lengthy. I would say that. They sound Surprisingly like good words. lengthy. That's 
two more words. <laughs> and then I would just put the word cake. Take. Cake. Which has been an inspiration and um C A K E Cake. Cake is the centre of all of it. And um very, very finally, this is the question that we're asking all of the guests that come on. Uh, if yep. there's one thing that comedy has taught you about life, what is it? Yep. Remain childlike. Oh, that's what that's I'd say. So yeah. Good. yeah. Not childish. No. But childlike. But, you know, see the fun in it and you know, learn to lighten up a little bit like you did as a kid. It's the joys that we had laughing as a kid. You can just lose it so easily. And and that's what you have to hang on to. And that's in a way why I find talking about comedy difficult because it's the very unpicking that makes it, you know, uh, disappear yeah. sometimes. Yeah. And well, I kind of don't even want to think what it is. I just want to keep doing it. And and share it with my chums and know it when it's there, if you know what I mean. Totally. Well, you, you may find it difficult talking about it, but you have talked about it brilliantly. So thank you ever oh, so good. much. Oh, good. <laughs> all right. Wonderful. Thank you ever all so much. So oh, grateful. And all the best, you too. And good luck with that novel. <laughs> thank Cheers. You, Thanks ever so much. <laughs> thank Cheers. you. Bye. See you. Bye. 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 Um, I literally have the biggest smile on my face right now because that was incredible. Alice actually drew a heart halfway through the interview on her notepad and held it up to me and Tom, our producer, being like, I love her. Like a child with a crush. Yeah, well, she said to stay childish, so there we go. She did say to stay childish. I just think... She's so nice. She she's is so, so nice. nice. You could easily be a horrible person, couldn't you, when you get but a load of so fame and a load it. of success. But she's just... She's okay. It's really not very flat, like very nice, is it, to sort of go overboard and be horribly gushy and effusive about someone? You should be cool and collected. But oh my god, she's amazing. She's so good. So uh, we're going to be coming back every week with new guests, and uh, please talk about the podcast, share it among your friends and family. Rate, subscribe, and review is, I think, the buzzword yes. you meant to say. And for anybody that uh, wants to look us up as well outside of the podcast, we are on www.roxyandalice.com. And you're absolutely not obliged. You know, if you don't care and you're just here for the really cool comedians, that's absolutely fine. Yeah, we understand we're the least selling factor. Yes. See you next week. Thanks for listening. Bye. Great Big Owl dot com.